So hello and welcome. My name's Steve Nabell and today I'm speaking with Carrie Laju on The Divinely Guided Leader. Carrie has a doctorate in organizational development and has had senior leadership positions in some of the largest nonprofits in the US. She has lots of clients across the nation and uh, in more than 30 states actually. She's coached, ex coached executives in multiple industries and um, she's a certified life coach, health coach, yoga teacher and her website is www.carrylaju.com. There will be a link going out with this podcast. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great speaking with you. It's a great topic. Um, it's one that's close to my heart, actually, because there's lots of examples of bad leadership in the world. I don't want to name names, you know, but there's tyrants, there's the ego-driven people, there's the people in the ivory towers, which I've come across quite a few of those. There's the not paying attention, not really listening types. You're going to do it my way or the highway. Have you come across bad leadership? Um, unfortunately, yes, I have. <laughs> What's it like? Um, you know, I think one of the things I've come to understand about bad leadership is uh, the root cause of it. You know, because I'm always curious in terms of where are these behaviors coming from, right? Behaviors are symptoms, I would say, of our beliefs. And what I believe happens when you have a really bad leader is that deep down inside there are some wounds there, you know, um, whether they're from, you know, childhood traumas or whatever, people have these stories that they've told themselves and there's a lot of, you know, I need to prove myself to the world kind of behaviors that are exemplified and where does that come from? Well, that comes from you know, that's ego-driven, and that comes from lack of self-worth and lack of self-confidence and those kinds of things. And that seems to me to be the common pattern across um, all the bad leaders that I've certainly encountered is the same root cause, which in, in some ways I think is, you know, a good thing to understand and to know because we know the wounds can be healed. You know, if people want to do that work, um, there is a way for them to overcome those kinds of things. I know when I stepped into leadership, I remember at the time, most of the examples of leadership I'd had was authoritarian, you know, the old model. Mm -hmm. and, and so initially, that was the kind of model that I adopted, really, and then realized it's not working. Quick, I've got to go and find another one quickly. Do you find that people inherit bad models of leadership? You know, we've got popes kind of over, over the kind of whole church we've got generals over the whole military this kind of chain of command type of leadership is that model being challenged now i believe so um i think what people are learning is that that it's ineffective right and so people realize when they're not getting the results that they want with a certain type of leadership and if they're really committed to their, their desired outcomes something needs to change um, so I do see a lot of people and a lot of um, professional learning and development and training for people in positions of leadership that are, have a different paradigm um, that is being implemented in terms of their own leadership growth. Yeah. Now, well, leadership, people might think, or I might think of politicians or generals or things like that, but really leadership is called for in many spheres of life, I believe, like community building, business, social enterprise, as well as the political, financial, and so on. Would you say that we really are in need of, of great leadership generally? Absolutely. And, and I, I don't view leadership as being tied to position. Hmm. Um, you know, I don't think it's about title. I don't think it's about position. I think it's about are you able to influence others to move towards something that is 
making the world a better place? Can you help other people move towards something in which we're contributing in a way that's meaningful and making a difference? Um, you know, and so leadership can be on a very small scale, it can be on a large scale, but it's really about do you inspire other people to sort of step into a particular role and to move forward with things? And the other piece about it, I think, is and do you help people to grow, mm -hmm. right? I think that is one of the number one sort of um, obligations, responsibilities as a leader is your job is to help grow other people and help them to evolve and step into sort of their highest potential. And that can, that can look all kinds of different ways. What are the qualities of a great leader, would you say? Mm. So I, I ask this question. I mean, I certainly have my own personal opinions, but I also have asked this question to almost every single leader I've ever coached or worked with to try to understand what they value. And the kinds of things that always come up, you know, well, somebody that really believes in me. You know, they had this unwavering belief that I was going to do something amazing. That made all the difference. Um, their ability to have a really inspiring and clear vision. You know, they got us all behind sort of this common vision, um, which helped us to move forward together as a team. Um, they cared more about the people that they lead than themselves. They are, you know, right in the work with us. You know, there's never a sense of, well, the, the on-the-ground work is for you to do, I'm too good for it, you know. It, it really strong leaders are willing to roll up their sleeves and get gritty and sort of do the hard work themselves. Um, of course, competence plays a huge role, you know, for leaders to be really respected and influenced. Yes. You, need to have, you need to have the knowledge and skill set, you know, in the field that you're working or you don't have the credibility with the people that you want to lead. So that's really important. Um, so those are, are some of the things that I've heard, you know, is, are really common in terms of, of what has inspired leaders that have inspired others to move forward and do really important work. When it comes to divinely guided, because this is a whole new concept, isn't it, in a way that you can have great competent leaders, inspiring leaders who are clear with their vision, rolling up the sleeves. Divinely guided sounds like they're being driven by something else as well, as well as. Yes, yeah. So part of, some of the newer work that I've been doing with leaders around this, um, a lot of it has to do with helping leaders get out of their head. So leaders are often they're really intellectual they're usually very intelligent and smart and they're often really analytical so they've spent most of their career up in their head problem solving which i think is connected to this in some way because i think it's kind of been the false god of leadership that our job as leaders is to solve all of the problems that our people bring to us right yeah and so this pattern of being up in their head what it's done has really um sort of cut that cord and sever that tie to higher power and so they're thinking 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 all the time and they're not really moving forward from their heart mm. and what we know is that when you can quiet the mind and you can slow down or stop those analytical processes for a little while and just ask from that that heart space from that heart center you know what's the right move here What's the move that's going to best support people and have the best outcome? When you can ask from that space um, and you can quiet the ego and the mind, you'll get an answer. Mm. And that answer is never going to steer you wrong. You know, so it's not about not using data. I have to often give this disclaimer, you know, when I'm helping organizations to create strategy, we use data to inform the work. That's incredibly important. Mm. But I'm talking about the change management piece that is about people. 
and how the people are going to respond to the changes, we can't overthink that stuff. From that place, it's where we really need to be to be guided by our our higher, you know, our higher power, and from that heart center. And the results are better when you work, when you move forward from that place. I can resonate with that because um, I I was in a leadership position in a corporate uh, company where I was being asked to problem solve all the time, and um, and I, what I realized was that by being a problem solver, it kind of generated more problems in a way that the people were going, oh, it's great, let's let's present more. And I found that rather than solving them, I just gen seemed to generate more, like mushrooms were kind of mushrooming all over the place. And in terms of um, getting clear and leading from the heart, because I moved out of London about a year ago and I'm living in on the coast, which is very quiet by the sea, and I'm finding the stillness and space has given me so much more creativity. And of course, in today's world, creativity often translates into projects into money you know at the very base level you could say money can't you so i'm finding that that stillness and i guess people in the corporate world would think that you know you always got to be on the go you, you no time to stop no time for stillness you know this is a, a luxury do you, do you find people resist this idea i think they do and, and what they're what they're not understanding is that they're missing out on the source of like really tapping potential and innovation and all the things that they seek to achieve, um, they come from a different source and from a different place, right? They come from the source of creativity. They come from the heart center. They come from divine guidance. And when we're leading from that place, you enter this state of flow. And then things feel so much easier. You don't feel like you're always trying to swim upstream. Yeah. You know. So I think part of our job right now with leaders is to help them understand that Yes, this is a different way of operating, but once you've had a taste of it, you know, once you sort of just trust a little bit to give it a try, you go, oh my gosh, like, I feel so much better at the end of the day. I'm not exhausted. I still have energy left. You know, I'm, I'm having these ideas and these things that are going to make a difference and make an impact. Um, and that's where we, we, need, we need leaders actually to be in that place right now because you take a look at the world around us. And we need people that are willing to step up to step up in pretty big ways. Yeah. And and I don't think that that requires people sacrificing um, happiness and joy and, you know, just wellness, right? Like that sense of chronic stress and burnout that a lot of leaders have associated with leadership. The higher up you go, the more stress you're going to have. That That's not the truth of the matter. That's a really old damaging story that we have that sort of exists in society that I think... We have to we have to shift and change yeah well some years ago I think back in the 90s I came across a book called the corporate mystic and this book explored I think they went into the into um, they explored a hundred CEOs from well you know respected companies and they found some of the best performing CEOs heavily relied on this you touched on it before intuition right brain but they wouldn't call it intuition they would call it gut instinct and things like <laughs> this and I remember I met, um, I met someone uh, about 15, 20 years ago who was an investment banker. And she, she told me she used to have lots of dreams about investments and her colleagues would laugh at her dreams until they realized that actually her dreams were quite accurate in terms of investment. She used to have her dreams about investing, you know. 
And then they stopped laughing and they started taking notice. I mean, she's not in that world anymore. She left and she opened a retreat center. And I think she's now gone back to America. But I just thought it was interesting that the complete resistance she would have. I can understand it, having been in the, in the, in the corporate world. But intuition seems like a completely another, another sphere, doesn't it? People can talk about heart and gut. But when you start talking about intuition, it sounds like there's angels whispering in your ear. And they don't kind of like that so much. Do you find that people resist that? I think intuition is becoming now more acceptable in terms of, you know, professional, the professional fields and leadership. I think divine guidance is probably sort of the one that is still like, okay, there's a select few for whom they're like, yes, I'm there. I get that. You know, I, and to me, you can call it whatever you want to call it. Um, I think what it's about is understanding that You've got to quiet the ego. You've got to quiet the mind. You have to come to stillness. And that those answers, those ideas, they exist within you, right? They're, they're there for you to tap into. Yeah. So your belief system, I think, matters less. You know, the words you use matter less. Um, I think it's about the practice and the process and then also this, this trusting yourself that's sort of in this deeper place and this deeper source is where... Um, those answers live and reside. You just have to tap into it. Yeah, it's almost like, I, it sounds like, um, certainly it was my case, I had to overcome my education up to that point. When I stepped into leadership, all of it was left brain, analytical, bullet points, business plan. I remember when I was a director of this company and, and I was asked at a board meeting, what's my business plan for the next five years? I just absolutely, I just said, well, I just feel the world is so volatile. I don't, want to create a business plan you know but having an idea of where I want to take the company was one thing but it Mm -hmm. seemed like the markets were so volatile and changeable that fixing something to something it it seemed to be a mistake and actually that company's still doing very very well Mm -hmm. so what would you say about you know on the one hand there's intuition or feeling the way forward and then the other hand I've got, got to have a business plan is there a way to balance the two there is. I think there's a happy medium, and I think what you're what you're mentioning is sort of what I've found is a misperception. It's a it's a it's driven by perfectionism in a lot of ways, right? The business and the strategic planning process, and a false belief that if I map this all out in black and white and I make this concrete, I can sort of delegate and give marching orders to everybody in the org, and it's like a surefire way that nothing's going to go wrong and we're going to hit our targets, right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's driven from this place of wanting, uh, it's like a control thing, a perfectionism kind of thing. And none of those, uh, when we're driven by those things, those don't serve us, right? Our energy is, it's not the right energy to really move us forward. So what you talked about in terms of having vision, right? Like seeing, knowing where you're headed is, is critical. Because people can't follow you somewhere if they don't know where you're going. And so yeah. getting crystal clear on that is really key. Now, there is a strategy component to that because people also need to know what's the role that I'm going to play in this work and how am I going to know that I'm successful in this work. So there has to be strategy. But your strategy has to be flexible so that as you get new information, you can adapt, you know, and adjust course. And so like I always say to my clients, you know, reserve the right to get smarter. Uh You know, yeah, Yeah, we're going to map this out. And we're going to monitor our progress, but we're also going to shift and move as, you know, we get new information. And the, and the companies that have that kind of approach to strategy, not only do they still hit their targets and sometimes overshoot their targets, but 
people feel better about the work. You know, they don't feel bogged down by this darn plan that on paper when they're feeling like I, my intuition is saying, my gut is saying, I should go this other direction. But on paper, oh, we've got to go here, right? That is that's stifling, and it doesn't allow us to use our creativity, which is the number one most important thing for leaders to be using. Yeah. Now, this may sound an odd question. I'm not sure if it comes in the remit of what, what you do with clients, but one of the things I found in my work, and I'm, I'm probably getting more out there than most, I suppose, is that dreaming has a – dreaming as in – sleeping on stuff and waking up with either it could be a challenge and then in the morning you go I just know the answer or it could be a new project that often in my dreams I'm told often do this and sometimes I sit with it for hours going through the dream and I wake up going I know what I've got to do today is that common or do you find that happens with clients I I wish it happened more I think it's something that we try to cultivate but what you're talking about is you're giving yourself permission to process, right, and for for a process to occur that's going to lead to insight. And one of the things that leaders tend to struggle with is a belief that they should have all the answers and have them right away. So I I see them struggle to say in the moment in what feels to them like a high-stakes meeting or situation, you know, I'm not sure about that right now. Let me think about that. You know, let's come back to that. And what I want to say to the leaders out there is, Give yourself and the people you work with permission to pause Mm. because whether it's a couple hours or whether it's overnight, again, the answers already lie within you. You've just got to give yourself the space and the opportunity to tap into them. And we often can't do that. It's very few people that can do that in the moment. And if you think you're doing it in the moment, it's probably coming from a different place, right? It's probably coming from your analytical mind and from ego and not from sort of your source of inspiration and creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's another thing I, I read on your website about um, linking authenticity, influence, and vulnerability. And it's, it's an interesting one because it, it seems to, to me in some of the companies I worked for that being myself was not allowed. I had to toe the company line. What does it mean to be authentic? And vulnerable, and vulnerable, of course, was didn't seem very well. That was quite a while ago. You know, you weren't able to really open your heart and just it wasn't the done thing. Certainly not in Britain. Is this changing? I sure hope so. I mean, I think it's a newer conversation. I think it's something that, um, again, as leaders, we sort of have a responsibility to dig into and bring to the organizations that we work with. Vulnerability and authenticity are connected. You know, you can't authentically be yourself if you don't feel like you can be vulnerable. Um, and, and the thing about vulnerability is most people feel like, well, I can't feel vulnerable if I don't trust the people that I work with, um, my leader, my team, the culture here, whatever it is. And, and there's a misconception here, which is that trust comes before vulnerability. Well, it doesn't really work that way. You sort of have to trust to be vulnerable, and to be vulnerable, you have to trust. And And what we know from the research, and I love uh, Brene Brown's work on this. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but it's over 20 years of research on these topics. And it's really undeniable when you think about it from your own personal experience as well, but that, you know, trust is built in small moments. You know, it's not really these big, huge, grand gestures that people make towards each other. It's the small moments and how we're interacting with each other. So what that means for leaders is being fully present deeply listening, um, believing in your people, you know, all of those small, every interaction, you have the opportunity to build trust with your people or erode trust. 
And if you're building trust, they're going to start showing, feeling like they can be vulnerable and therefore be their more, most authentic selves. Well, why is that important? Well, because when we don't feel like we can bring our, soul, our whole self to work for who we truly, truly are and we have to put on this mask and hide who we are, number one, we're not your most engaged employee. Right, we're just not because we're not feeling. We're, that is a it's an energy drain on us, and we're going to always have this nagging feeling that maybe we should go somewhere else where we can really be ourselves. Like that is our human nature. It's part of you know we we have to we have to feel like we can just show up for who we are and not be judged for it negatively. Mm-hmm. So it's important that people can be authentic at work. And so I do think that the other piece I think around leadership is there's these like old school beliefs about, you know, to be vulnerable is weakness and just no evidence to, to say that that's the truth. In fact, being vulnerable requires great courage. And so when you are vulnerable as a leader, you're modeling that for the people that you serve. And I have a really strong belief that that we need to model what we expect from others. Well, I as a leader want people, my people to feel courageous. So I'm going to have to model that through everything that I do. And one component of that is being vulnerable and truly being myself. Well, one aspect of leadership that I'm probably quite familiar with is people who are in the personal development zone or even the spiritual zone where they're standing on stage and inspiring and leading audiences, you know, whatever whatever their chosen area is. And I found that vulnerability connected to storytelling you know telling personal stories about themselves is hugely important it builds huge trust it may be different in the corporate world but certainly in that zone anybody wanting to be a leader in that zone I think it's very important to uh, to do that and I've, I've I used to coach authors and I found that so many of them made themselves absent and I used to say where are you in this story you know it's almost like you're preaching to the, to, to to some audience that needs converting but where are you, people need to know how you've shifted in in terms of your message do you find um, do you do you coach kind of people in that zone personal development zone as well um, absolutely absolutely and sometimes we even have to spend a little time crafting their story because it feels if it's not something that they've been doing as leaders it doesn't really feel natural or they feel like nobody's interested in my story and so the first step is like let's overcome that misconception because they are it makes you human it helps them relate to you to know that you have challenges that you've overcome as well right so it's the belief that nobody cares we have to overcome and then it's what story you know, are people, what's going to help people connect with you in a way that's really meaningful? And I also try to think about, like, the stories that I share. What are the stories for which, you know, there might be an applicable lesson for them as well? You know, how can this story serve them in their own growth and development? Because that's what we do when we're listening to stories, is we're making those personal connections. So stories are great because not only is it about building trust and engagement, but it's also a great teaching tool. And as leaders, again, that's another part of part of your job is to is to teach others. Yeah, I've heard some very inspiring uh, speeches by people, authors. I think J.K. Rowling was one of them who, rather than just talk about all their successes, were actually talking about all the areas they found most difficult and challenging, but they got through it somehow. And you know, and, and people relate. You know, I think what she was a single parent on benefits or something. So anybody like that would be inspired by that story. And I, I remember um, I went through a bit of a dark night of the soul myself. And I, in that time, wanted to get away from the mind, body, spirit field. And I, I remember taking a job as a bus driver for a year and a bit. And then I came out of it and came back to this field. 
Um, and I remember her, this, there was a girlfriend saying to me, you have to share that story. It's so inspiring. And I just said, there is no way <laughs> under heaven and earth I'm going to stand up and say I drove a bus, you know, for a year <laughs> and a half. And I did actually do it. And I found the response was incredible. And I, I, I was still kind of staggered by how would people find that inspiring? And whenever I share it with people, they go, that's just so inspiring, so amazing. And I still go, is that amazing? What's so amazing about that? But, you know, I, I, I guess it does show a, a sense of vulnerability that I've not always been some kind of high-flying leader in some spiritual world. I have done very, very ordinary jobs. And, and, and for some people, they found that incredibly inspiring. I'm still a bit confused about that. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I totally get the thing about... Um, uh, telling stories is helping people shift and inspiring them so let me ask you finally what about one of the areas I found even very successful people in all walks of life including myself struggle at times with this time management and mm. burnout because of that you know there's too many things to do not enough time and you know if only I could clone myself how wonderful it would be but I can't not yet anyway so mm -hmm. how, how have you come across this issue very much Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say it's it's probably one of the things that drive, you know, people to me is they, you know, I'm a bit of a burnout specialist, you might say, you know, from my, my own personal history of overcoming it. Um, and here's the thing about time management. It's it's so not about time management. <laughs> you know, I can, I, I do help my clients in terms of getting clear about what they want to do over the next 90 days and then how you set up your morning and evening routines to support you. Like, there are things around that that you need to know to be successful and that are useful. So I won't deny that. Hmm. And those, that's like the low-hanging fruit. You know, that's easy to teach. It's easy for people to implement. But the thing that people need to ask themselves if they are working themselves into the ground is what's the root cause, right? So we think that this like, oh, I'm going to work all the time. It's somebody else's fault. There's these external forces at play that require me to work all the time. No, that's not true. We're responsible for overworking if that's the thing that we're doing. And there's always a belief that lies underneath that. And so, you know, I see that people, they're either, it's perfectionism, right? So they spend way more time on things that they need to because it's got to be, you know, this picture-perfect little package versus what I like to think of as, like, minimal, minimum viable product. You know, like, do it, get it out there into the world. That's one thing. Um and then you got to ask, like, so we're, and leaders are often, you know, perfectionists for sure. And they think that it's actually the thing that's like helped them rise to the level that they're at. But at a certain point, it stops serving us. Hmm. So what's underneath perfectionism that's making you like do all this extra work that's unnecessary? Well, <laughs> that's usually a lack of self-worth. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to prove something to myself or to somebody else. Um, and so if it's not perfectionism, then there's still always this like, Proving to myself or to somebody else and that's why I'm saying yes to all these projects that come my way you know I don't know how to set and communicate a healthy boundary and maybe I'm afraid to communicate set that boundary because oh my gosh what will people think of me they won't think I'm a team player they won't think I'm good enough right so I don't know if you can hear sort of this pattern or the theme underneath all of these behaviors but it always comes down to like healing these wounds and this inner game and believing that you are enough exactly how you are right now today and you've got nothing to prove to anybody and once you step into that realization all the craziness right all of the working 80 hours a week and not having any boundaries that stuff stops because you're done trying to prove something to yourself and to everybody else 
Now, I've given you a website, Carrie. What if people are attracted to work with you? What, what kind of work do you do with people? Sure. Well, I work both with organizations um, and teams and individuals. So I do group coaching and organizational strategy and then ex executive coaching. And I also just take, you know, on one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. Um, you know, perhaps it's not connected to their organization, but they need a little help in, you know, moving out of a place of chronic stress and burnout into a healthier way of being. Or lots of times people come to work with me because they feel this impending transition or like a change needs to happen. And they don't exactly know what that is or how to how to move through, through that. And so we work on that together. And it's really simple. I've got a scheduling page on my website. People can go on there and just um, set up a call to talk with me at any time. Very good. And I'll send the link out with this uh, podcast. Carrie, amazing speaking with you. Oh, you too, Steve. Thanks so much for the time. I look forward to connecting with you again.